Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus said, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. There's a, a great book that I'd like to recommend to you all, and it's called The Triumph of Christianity, How the Jesus Movement Became the World's Largest Religion. Rodney Stark wrote this book, and he, he writes in his opening paragraph these words. He was a teacher a miracle worker who spent nearly all of his brief ministry in a tiny and obscure province of Galilee, often preaching to outdoor gatherings. A few listeners took up his invitation to follow him, and a dozen or so became his devout followers. But when he was executed by the Romans, his followers probably numbered no more than several hundred. How was it possible for this obscure Jewish sect to become the largest religion in the world. And so the rest of Rodney's book uh, attempts to answer that question. However, Rodney Stark writes as an historian, not as a theologian, not as an evangelist. His question invites us uh, to have some serious contemplation this morning. How do we get from a dozen devout followers, minus one who betrayed him, to the world's largest religion? It just doesn't seem very likely this morning, does it? So as we heard the final verse from Matthew chapter 28 being read to us, the verse where Jesus gives his disciples what we traditionally call the Great Commission. Did anyone notice that something unusual in the preceding verses to that? Did anyone notice something unusual in, in, in nothing stuck out to you that went, ooh, I didn't know that was there? Okay, here we go then. It says, some of the disciples doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. This is not a good way to begin a worldwide religious movement, is it? Oh, oh by the way, some disciples doubted that Jesus had risen from the dead. Verse 16 to 17 it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him... They worshipped him, but some doubted. We rarely talk about these verses, but we should. These verses set the scene for the Great Commission. Having risen from the dead, Jesus now meets his disciples at a mountain in Galilee. What, followers, what, what follows is almost comical if you think about it, that, that these 11 men are the closest friends of Jesus on planet Earth. They followed him through thick and thin, and now Jesus is about to leave them. And you can almost imagine the conversation. Hey, Jesus, what's your plan to reach the world? I've got these 11 men. That's all? No, there are more, but these are the key men I've got at the moment. I thought you had 12. I did, but one of them betrayed me. And so it goes on. 11 men to reach the world. 
it doesn't sound very hopeful on the face of it at the moment, does it? But it gets worse. Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You don't hear many sermons preached on this verse. Not too much of an encouraging word here. You know, the, the, to lose one of your top men to betrayal. But it's worse when some of those left now begin to doubt you. It's hard to build a movement on doubting men, isn't it? Just like it's hard to build a church on a doubting congregation. A bunch of people who doubt God can build, God can grow, God can change. Think about it. Jesus comes to the end of his journey on planet Earth and some of his 11 doubt. That's the stark reality this morning. It's now a whole month after the resurrection and some of his best men still doubt him. They aren't sure if it's really him. Imagine you're a leader. Uh, what do you do about such a thing? What do you do about that? Probably uh, we would then, if, if, we, if we think of ourselves as the leader corporately, we would probably plan a crash course in apologetics. That's a $50 word, which means the art of defending religious doctrines, okay? And so we can just imagine Jesus saying, well, okay, guys, gather around. I've got an advanced copy of a book called Mere Christianity by a man named C.S. Lewis, who, lived, who, li who will live in England in 2,000 years in the future. Of course, it won't be written for another 2,000 years, but I've managed to get a copy miraculously, and I've translated it into Aramaic. Now, just read it, and it will prove to you that I rose from the dead. I know that whole no notion this morning sounds absurd, but that illustrates our typical approach this morning. We use apologetics to help people get rid of their doubts, or we try to use apologetics to, get rid of, to help people get rid of their doubts. We use defensive speech to convince people of what we believe. But that's not what Jesus did this morning, church. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what happens here. Jesus seems to ignore the whole issue of some doubted. Okay, fine. Let's go with what we have. It's almost as if Jesus is saying, don't worry about anything. Don't even worry about your doubts. Go and make disciples. And in your going, your doubts will disappear. I think that's exactly what happened this morning. Nothing dispels doubt like speaking up for Jesus, does it? Nothing dispels doubt like actually speaking up for Jesus. Get in the arena and your doubts will begin to disappear. One man said these words, Life is not a spectator sport. If you're going to spend your whole life in the grandstand just watching, what's go just watching what goes on, in my opinion, you're wasting your life. It has been said that modern Christianity can be compared to a football game. There were 22 players on the field who are in dire need of a rest. And there's 100,000 spectators in the sands in dire need of exercise. Get in the arena my friends get in the arena and your doubts will begin to disappear verse 18 says then Jesus came to them and said all authority in heaven and on earth 
has been given to me. We pulled apart this scripture last week. We're going to pull it apart a little bit more. We live in a world that worships money and power. Wealth has its privileges. How would the first disciples, think about this, how would the first disciples fare as they spread out from Jerusalem? Those who went south would soon encounter the mighty pyramids of Egypt. They would see the Sphinx rising out of the hot sands. In Alexandria, they would encounter the greatest library of the ancient world. How would Jesus' men fare against the learned sages and the philosophers of Alexandria? Those who went north would go to Antioch, another seat of learning. Eventually, a man named Paul would arrive at Athens, the cultural seat of the ancient world. There in the land of Socrates, uh, uh, Aristotle and, and Plato, surrounded by altars and idols, all, situation, all situated underneath the great shadow of the mighty uh, Acropolis. It was right there Paul would proclaim the good news of Jesus and call men to repentance. Finally, the early Christians would arrive at Rome with its magnificent Colosseum. And they were faced with the staggering grandeur of the Roman Empire. How intimidating that would have been. Who would dare to preach Christ in such a place? And in time, some would make the, make, take the gospel as far east as India and also into China. And these were lands filled with teeming masses of people living unaware that Jesus had even come to planet Earth. How would the Christian message survive? It would survive all the assaults against it because all power on heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus Christ. When the disciples entered Alexandria, they had no fear because Alexandria had no power greater than Jesus Christ. They would appreciate the glories of Athens, but they did not need to be intimidated because there was no glory in Athens greater than the glory of Jesus Christ. And in Rome, the seat of imperial power could not compare to the power resident in the one who sits at the right hand of the Father Almighty. I say all that to say this this morning, beloved. We have nothing to fear as we go into the world. We have nothing to fear as we leave these four walls because the power of Jesus far surpasses the power and the authority of the rulers of this world. Think about the rich and the powerful people of this world. Jeff Bezos. Elon Musk, Xi Jinping, Bill Gates, Vladimir Putin, Joe Biden, Angela Merkel, Pope Francis, Mark Zuckerberg, Kim Jong-un, Hillary Clinton. Who are they compared to the Lord Jesus Christ? Who are they? Who are they? They are nothing at all. They come... And then, then, then comes to the part of this great commission in verses 19 to 20. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. For a moment, let's pass, let's pass over all the details and consider this just one fact. Just one fact. This is impossible. 
exactly how are 11 men to disciple all nations? Especially when some of them still doubt. It can't be done, can it? We make a huge mistake if we read the Great Commission apart from its context. Jesus is not saying, okay guys, it's now all up to you. He's not saying that. Because if that were true, and if that were true, and that means then that the whole Christian movement would have died within a few years of the resurrection. But here's the real meaning. Jesus is saying to these eleven still doubting blokes, you're not equal to this. You are not equal to this. But I am. I am. So, beloved, we are not equal to the task of converting South Akron. But Jesus is. Jesus is. Our Lord is looking for co-workers. He's looking for people who will enter the arena of life, who will get on the playing field, people who will stand in the gap and put their money where their mouth is. Do you have a saying like that here Put your money where your mouth is. In, in case you missed it, Jesus added something else. In verse 20, just at the end, he says, And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. This is a blanket promise for the ongoing presence of the Son of God with his people. Wherever they go, whatever they do in his name, even to the very end of the age... This is huge this morning, church. This is huge because Jesus is saying, don't worry, I'll be there with you. In context, this is how we should read Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. I have all power, Jesus says. I am with you wherever you go. Now go and make disciples. We tend to focus on number three, don't we? Go and make disciples, uh, the going part, and then we stall out there. We just stall out. But the going part is totally impossible without the all-power part and without the I am with you part. That's what should go first. The real message is something like this. Go and I will go with you. Go and I will go ahead of you. Go and I will take care of you. Just go. Just go. Step out onto the arena of life because the Holy Spirit is already working in the hearts of people in South Akron. He's already working in the hearts of people in South Akron. We just need to pray that God will order our footsteps to those that he's working with now. We are co-workers. We are co-laborers with God. We are not spectators watching some cosmic football game of life. We have a lot of fear about evangelism, don't we? You can say, oh me, it's okay. (laughs) What if they ask me a question, I can't answer it? Well, they will. What if they get angry with me? Right, Manny? What if they get angry with me? Manny, what if they get angry with me? What do you do? Huh? They're bound to do it sooner or later. What if I forget what I'm supposed to say? Welcome to the club, eh? Happens to me all the time, and it eventually will happen to you. What if someone says, I'm narrow-minded and judgmental? Welcome to the club. You've probably faced that already, and you probably are too. So, <laughs> What if I can't overcome my fears? And that's the whole point of this passage this morning. 
That's the whole point of this passage. It's a big world out there and it can be, it can seem very, very scary. Now, you can avoid these embarrassing situations if you decide never to talk about your faith about Jesus at all. You can avoid them. But if you retreat to your religious country club where you're surrounded by Christians and only Christians, you will never discover the true power of the presence of Jesus. You will never know if Jesus has the power to help you until you really need his help. You will never know if Jesus is with you until you decide to go somewhere in his name. Jesus said, I am more powerful than anything you can run to. More powerful than anything you can run into. Jesus says, I am going to be with you wherever you go. You're not on your own. Beloved, the good news for all of us comes from Jesus himself. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Not everyone will love you, but you can't fail, beloved. You can't fail. Not everyone will believe your message, but you can't fail. And that's how the Christian movement started with 11 blokes, some who doubted. And it has grown to over 2.6 billion people in 2,000 years. That's just who are alive today on planet Earth. At the end of Rodney Stark's book, he closed with a, this simple summary. More than 35% of the people on earth today are Christians and their number is growing more rapidly than any other major faith. Historians and sociologists will offer their own explanation to that comment, but we should be satisfied to say that the words of Jesus have indeed come to pass. A miracle had taken place 2,000 years ago and 2,000 years later, we are part of that miracle. We are part of that miracle. Jesus said, I have all power and I will go with you. And if that is true, we cannot fail. We cannot fail. When Jesus gets involved, amazing things happen. Go and I will go with you. That's the whole plan right there. That's it. That's the plan. It worked 2,000 years ago. It still works today. Can somebody say amen? amen? Thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I desire to know you more. Learn more of you and become a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Give me a teachable spirit. I pray so that I may grow in grace. And I pray that you would enable me to grow and disciple others in your strength, strength so that together we come to a knowledge of the truth in Christ Jesus, in whose name I pray this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.